We are buying something that's already at a discount because it has some problems. We're fixing those problems. We are raising the rents. The whole name of the game in multifamily is net operating income. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome back to another edition of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I am your co-host, Theo Hicks, with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing? Hey, Theo, doing great. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Best of listeners, thank you for joining us as well. And today, we're going to give you a case for multifamily real estate in 2021. There's a question mark in the title, but... For me, it's an exclamation point. (laughs) The case for multifamily real estate in 2021. So Travis and I have done a few actually passive investing shows in the past on very detailed, in-depth, well-researched multifamily reports, commercial real estate reports, going over a lot of stats and data on specifically why a strong demand for multifamily, some of the forecasts for commercial real estate in general, but also multifamily for 2021 and beyond. 
So based off of our backgrounds, as well as our reading of those reports, we kind of threw together a list of different points that support investing in multifamily, specifically in 2021 and beyond. And a lot of these metrics will kind of give you an idea of what types of metrics indicate a demand for multifamily. What types of metrics show that a certain asset class is going to be strong? How do you know that a certain asset class is going to be strong? So those are the things we're going to talk about today. We're going to keep it pretty high level. If you want to check out some more detailed analysis, again, check out some of our other actively passive investing show. And there's also lots of different really solid real estate reports out there that you can find as well. Absolutely, Theo. I think for me anyway, the purpose of this particular show episode is that to your point, we're usually going really in depth on something very specific. What are the top 10 markets for 2021 or how does a cap rate work or whatever it is. But the way I envision this is I'm sitting at a table. I'm introduced to somebody I don't know. They say, what do you do? And I say, I invest in apartments. And they say, oh, really? Tell me more. Why would you do that? So this is just kind of that high level. I'm kind of making the case for why I do what I do. So it's just kind of some general thoughts. So I'll kick it off with something that we talked about several episodes back. I can't remember which one it was, but it's about cash flow strategies. I'm such a huge advocate for investing in things that produce passive income or cash flow or dividends or interest. And personally, part of my criteria is on a monthly frequency. And the reason is because when I have a whole portfolio stacked up with monthly paying cash flow producing assets, yes, I'm living on a portion of it, but then anything I'm not using, I'm able to quickly reinvest into other assets that produce even more cash flow. And therefore, what's important about that, that little circle of life right there is the way I see it, I'm reducing my risk. So let's say I have to go out there in the world and I have to earn an income and I pay my taxes and I'm left with my net amount of cash. Well, I take that cash and I initially put it into some real estate, let's say. So that, in my mind, is where I'm taking the most risk. In fact, all the risk, that first investment. But as that investment starts kicking off more cash flow and more income, and I take that and then buy another asset over here, then I'm taking significantly less risk because even if that new investment that I just made over here falls apart or goes to zero or whatever happens, I still have my initial piece of real estate. So I still, in my mind anyway, I'm sure some people probably don't agree with this, but it's almost like I've taken no risk on the last investment that I made because I still have everything that I started with, hopefully, and then some. So that's the primary reason. We're going to get into a lot more in this episode reasons for multifamily and apartments and et cetera. But at the top of my list, it's all about cash flow and passive income. I'll leave it at that. Yes. So like all transactions, it's all about supply and demand. So for real estate, for multifamily, I like looking at supply as two different things. It's the people and then the properties. So people need to live somewhere. So every person needs a place to live. So how many units are there for people to live in? So as the number of people go up, if the units stay the same, then demand for those units are going to go up. If the people stay the same, but the units go up, then the demand for those units are going to go down. And when the demand goes up or down, that impacts the amount of rent that could be charged. It's kind of a simple calculation. So when it comes to determining where supply is at, there's 
place where you can see the number of units constructed, but those are kind of good to understand comparing to previous years. But I really like the absorption rate. And so that basically tells you over a certain period of time, there's this many available units, what percentage of those units have been occupied. And so that doesn't necessarily tell you how many units are being constructed, but it kind of shows you what the demand is for the units. And so obviously an increasing absorption rate indicates that there is less units than there are people. If it's going down, then there's more units than there are people. So when you realize real estate reports, and you probably heard this before, is the affordable housing crisis, right? There's a very limited supply of affordable housing because of the costs to make multifamily and then the amount of rents you can get. So all the new construction is going to be A-class because it costs a lot to develop a property. So you need to get a lot of rent in order to cover all those costs. So it doesn't financially make a lot of sense to do a new development for C-class or B-class property. It's usually going to be in the A-class range in really nice markets. So since supply of B-class, C-class affordable housing isn't really going up, it might even be going down because they're getting fixed up and brought to a higher level. But the number of people that need that housing, especially now because of the current recession that we're in, that is a big plus for multifamily from a supply and demand perspective. And this is kind of reflected in the rent growth. I just did a blog post a few weeks ago about the rent growth forecast, the 10 markets where rents are going to grow the most in 2021. And what you realize when you read these things is that these are all, again, forecasts and it could be higher, it could be lower. But when you look at 2020 rent growth and then 2021 forecasted rent growth, they're not in these massive big markets. The market that grew the most in 2020 was Boise, Idaho of all places. So they're not these A-class markets. They're these secondary and tertiary markets. So on the one hand, you can see that, okay, there's a lack of affordable housing. And then in these areas, the rents are going up. So if you are a passive investor, you might want to consider looking at, again, these value add type plays where they're buying the C class, B class properties and areas that have experienced rent growth that have beat the national averages over the past five years is projected to continue to beat the national average over the next five to 10 years, investing in those places. You can still do well investing in new development deals and things like that. But at minimum, you're always going to have this demand for the affordable housing until something changes where it becomes really cheap to build again. Absolutely, Theo. Great points. Two other things I was just thinking about is I want to give a different kind of spin on what everybody's pretty familiar with, which is the appreciation aspect of real estate and the depreciation aspect. But I want to take it a step further and paint a different picture. So a lot of people think of appreciation in the sense that, oh, I'm going to buy this property, whatever the property is, single family, multifamily, et cetera, and I'm going to sit on it for numerous years and hopefully the market's just going to lift the value and to your point, supply and demand. And one day it's going to be worth more, right? As we all know, our grandparents and what they paid for their single family homes way back when, $20,000 for a house that today's $500,000. Well, that's certainly one way to look at appreciation. The problem with that is markets don't always just go straight up. As you know, what about 2008, 9, and 10? Sometimes markets go down. So solely relying on just market conditions for appreciation, I think, is a mistake. And this is why I invest in value-add properties, because we are forcing 
the appreciation. We are buying something that's already at a discount because it has some problems. We're fixing those problems. We are raising the rents. The whole name of the game in multifamily is net operating income. So we either have to increase revenues and or cut expenses. And then your NOI, net operating income, goes up and then your property is more valuable. A lot of single family investors don't necessarily think about it that way because NOI really is almost irrelevant in the single family space. It's more based around the comps in your area. So that's one thing to think about with appreciation. The good thing about real estate, generally speaking, is that it's kind of an inflation hedge. So if you believe the Fed and their projections that inflation is 2%, well then theoretically, your property is going up approximately 2%. Either you can raise your rents 2% or the cost of materials to build that goes up 2% a year. So yeah, in theory, over time, the property's worth more, but guess what? It's gotten eaten up too with inflation. So maybe it's really not worth anything more. So something to think about there is, think about it like buying a stock. If you could find a, a really solid company that for whatever reason just had a big dip because the whole market went down like we saw last year in March and April. So if you're able to, to pick that stock up at a 30% discount and it recovers, well, now you have a 30% buffer. So the market could collapse again, 30%. Well, you still wouldn't be losing any money. You'd be at a break even at that point. That's just how I like to invest and a different way to think about appreciation. Now for depreciation, this is where we get into taxes and Theo and I certainly aren't CPAs or tax professionals. So certainly seek out your own license advice on this, but real estate has some tremendous tax advantages with bonus depreciation, with cost segregation studies that you can do, mostly applicable in the multifamily space. But the bottom line is, to the point of my first topic, when I was talking about reinvesting cash flow and then lowering risk, well, if I'm not having to pay 35 plus percent in taxes on my cash flow each year because I have more depreciation than I have cash flow, then I'm able to reinvest that cash flow over and over again, where otherwise I wouldn't be able to. And if you ever look at these compound interest charts, I'm sure most of us nerds out there, myself definitely included, are always running these calculations of the phenomenon of compounding. But if you ever throw in the equation of assume that you pay 35% tax, it's incredible. We're talking over time, millions and millions and millions of dollars in difference just because you were paying taxes along the way. It's certainly a killer of returns hands down. So another reason I invest in real estate in general, single family, multifamily syndications, et cetera, is the tax advantages and the fact that I can keep rolling that forward and that they're tax favored. I'm holding a property, let's say longer than 12 months. Well, now it becomes a long-term capital gain, which is tax favored as compared to just getting interest in the bank, for example, something like that, which goes into your ordinary bracket up to 40% plus, that kind of thing. So those are two more high level thoughts I just thought of. Yeah, a quick follow up on the appreciation. I think I've brought this up a few times on this show, but I really like this thought process from the first webinar that we did for the Best Ever Conference. And they're talking about, should you buy or should you sell or should you hold in 2021? It was a tax specialist and she was saying, if something changes in the tax code, it's going to, in a sense, impact all investments very similarly. Some might be impacted more or less, everyone's going to be in the same boat. And so are you just going to stop investing period? Or are you just going to find the best investment for the time being? 
I think we did talk about this. We're saying like, maybe you won't get 10% returns, but you'll get 5% returns when everything else is going to be zero or negative, right? So when you're talking about the appreciation, it kind of triggered my thought process because like, look, even if that cap rate part of the equation makes it so that, that values go down, it's not like this real estate value is going to go down and everything else is going to be completely fine. The stock market is probably going to go down too. Other investments are going to go down too. And so when you have that other metric of the forced appreciation, you can offset, maybe even completely overcome any dips in the market by forcing that appreciation up. And then it's even better if you're investing with a company who is very conservative with their underwriting and, and even assume that in five years from now, we're expecting the market to be worse than it is now. So that if it's not, then the value is appreciated even more. So we're talking about the case for multifamily. I mean, when you're investing in these value-add forced appreciation type deals, if the market's doing really well, then you're going to do even better. And the market is not doing very well, then you're going to do better than what you would do if you're investing in something else that was completely reliant on the market that's not doing very well. So a couple other points too, the back-end buyers. And the last week, we talked a lot about the exit strategy who's going to buy the multifamily. And right now, I know Travis has talked about this a lot, but the returns on other investments are either really low or not very stable. So a lot of these big hedge funds are buying real estate. They're buying stabilized, turnkey, low headache real estate in order to get that 5% consistent return that they can't really get anywhere else. So when you are investing again with value add or really investing with anyone who plans on stabilizing the property, which I don't know why they wouldn't stabilize the property, then you can have confidence that on the back end, an institution is going to buy this property from them. I was just going to caveat one thing that you mentioned that's critical for everybody listening to understand. When you're saying a 5% return, we're talking about an unlevered return. We're talking about institutional capital buying an apartment community with no debt, no leverage. That's what a cap rate is essentially when you're buying at a five cap. So these institutional players, just to clarify your point, Theo, are looking around and saying, well, treasuries are paying 1% and bonds are paying 2%. And so, hey, 5% sounds pretty good. And if you're not using any leverage or debt, you're taking a lot less risk. Therefore, this may be pretty comparable to buying a bond or a treasury, at least in my opinion. So that's kind of their perspective from a institutional standpoint is this is a pretty high yielding asset without taking on a lot of risk if we're not going to lever it up with debt. Thank you for clarifying that. So because there's a demand from these institutions for that type of real estate, then not only can you benefit from what we talked about already, the cash flow, the appreciation, the tax benefits, the cash and the rent growth, the demand, the limited supply, but you can also have confidence that once you're to sell this thing, someone's going to buy it. You might say, oh, well, who's going to buy this thing on the back end if the market's not doing very well, the market takes a dip? Well, if it's going to perform better and be a lower risk than other investments, institutions aren't just going to do nothing and send their money. They're going to invest in something. And this is going to be one of their better options, especially now. And then from your perspective, even reduce your risk even more, because whenever you do research on some of these real estate reports, you'll see the national average for everything. And then some things are better than the national average. Some are less than the national average. And then if you kind of look at, say, 2019 data forecasts and then what actually happened in 2020, maybe some that were supposed to beat the national average didn't. Maybe ones that were not supposed to beat the national average did. It's kind of hard to be perfect, especially in 2020, especially. So a good way to minimize risk even more is to diversify across multiple markets. So 
possibly invest in some primary markets, but then also do some tertiary markets, some secondary markets. That way, you might not necessarily do as well if you put all your eggs in one basket and we're right, but you aren't going to do as bad if you put all of your eggs in one basket and we're wrong. And so diversifying across these different types of markets that have different pros and cons can help you participate in the national average. Hopefully, I'll perform that, but since you're in multiple places, then if something happens to not perform how it was supposed to, then the ones that did pull you back up and make sure that again, you're keeping your capital and it's growing and you're making that cash flow. It's part of the beauty of being a limited partner. I highly value diversification. It's a lot of the reason why I left doing single family investing where I had a portfolio of single family homes into multifamily as I could pull that equity out and I could redistribute it in smaller amounts nationwide in markets where I was kind of placing a bet on with operators who, quite frankly, were doing things a lot better than I was. So I'm huge on that. Absolutely. We covered the top 10 markets, as you pointed out, a couple episodes ago. So in theory, I was able to liquidate those single family homes and go put 25K here and 50K here and 75K there and spread that across those top 10 markets, give or take. So great points, Theo. Another thing, since we're talking about single family and multifamily, is the safety of your capital. So this is something I got really uncomfortable with. Let's take an example of a single family house rental and multifamily asset, both leveraged, meaning that we have mortgages or debt on apples to apples that way. So with a single family home, the ones that I used to own, when I had a renter in them and I was getting the rent payments on time and in full, I may have been a few hundred bucks cash flow positive every month. But anytime a tenant moved out or didn't pay me rent, not only did I not get the few hundred bucks, I went severely negative because I still had property tax and insurance and HOAs in my mortgage payment. So I might have been a thousand dollars underwater. So that 300, 300, 300, 300 just goes away. If in month number five, I don't collect a rent payment for whatever reason, in addition to all the maintenance issues that pop up with roofs and HVAC systems, et cetera. And a lot of times my cash flow was wiped out for the entire year just because of an unforeseen whatever, that kind of thing. So I got to thinking about risk and I thought, man, if I had five properties and even three of those, I wasn't getting rent for whatever reason, maybe a flood, a tornado, or just a coincidence. I might be in pretty bad shape. <laughs> you know, I'd have thousands of dollars per month to cover and expenses. And I certainly didn't have enough cash flow for my other properties to cover that. So in multifamily, let's use a hundred unit apartment building just as an example. A lot of times you can find these and underwrite these properties at let's call it a 60% break-even occupancy, just to use simple numbers again. That means out of my hundred units, I could have 40 tenants not paying rent or not occupying the units, and I'm still at a break-even. I'm not losing money. I'm at a break-even on the property in terms of cash flow. So to me, that's really about safety and risk reduction, and it's a big reason I really like multifamily, which is obviously the topic that we're covering here. In addition to the last thing, I know I already covered a little bit, but the inflation hedge of we can bump rents based on what the inflation rate is. The materials get more expensive to build these types of products. Therefore, our 
product becomes more valuable. So it's a huge topic right now, Theo and everybody listening. If you haven't been tuning in, the Fed is just pumping trillions of dollars into the system. We're going to see inflation. I don't know what percentage. I'm not that smart. I don't know how that's really going to pan out. And hopefully it doesn't end up as hyperinflation like we've seen in Venezuela or back in Germany in the 20s and 30s or Zimbabwe. But I do think this 2% inflation is perhaps a little bit of a joke <laughs> looking forward at the next decade. So you want to be in something, in my opinion, that's an inflation hedge. And if you're leveraging, like we're talking about, if you have a mortgage and debt, you are locking in today's dollars in that debt and then paying them off with cheaper dollars. The more we inflate and the purchasing power goes down, the more money we have to pay off that pre-existing debt. So all in all, big fan of real estate in general, but multifamily for those reasons. Yes. And then kind of to close to summarize, the thing to think about here isn't, is me passively investing in multifamily going to help me double my money in the certain amount of years or get 15% annualized return? I think the better approach is to compare it to everything else. So I kind of said this multiple times in the show, but unless you're going to keep your money in the bank or under your mattress, you're going to invest it in something. So what is the best vehicle to invest in? What is the ideal vehicle to invest in? when the market is doing really well or when the market is not doing really well or when you think the market's not doing very well or you think it's doing very well. And the point of all these things is to say, hey, look, these are all the different things that multifamily has going for it that allows it to obviously perform really well when the market's doing well, but most things do well. But what happens when it's not performing well? What happens if there's a dip or as you talking about inflation or a recession, the stock market crashes or whatever? People are going to need a place to live. And you're going to need a place to invest your money. And so those two things being true, real estate is a very good place to park your money. And then we've also kind of went specifically why we think that multifamily is one of the best places in real estate to park your money, especially when it comes to single family, especially if you're passively investing. Actively investing is a different story. We're talking about passively investing, which do you passively invest in? And Travis kind of went over specifically his story about single family homes versus multifamily. There's a lot more advantages to that as well. We do have a couple of blog posts comparing single family and multifamily at joefarrellis.com. You just type in SFR versus multifamily on there. That will come up. But that's how I approach this is, look, you got to invest in something. What should you invest in? Multifamily and here's why. I'm glad that you brought that up. Again, you brought up looking at the surrounding options. So I did an episode on our show a few episodes back just solo about what kinds of things in our market today are yielding approximately a 2% return or a 4 or a 6 or an 8 or a 10? Just giving examples to think about, not suggesting all of these will and always produce this kind of cash flow, but it's something to think about. And I'm still bullish on multifamily for the reasons we talked about, mostly because institutional capital is looking around saying, well, 1% over here, or 2% over there, or, oh, 5% over here. So think about this. A lot of people have trouble wrapping their head around where cap rates are today in real estate in general. Let's say nationwide, they're around 5% on average. Well, let's say that they go to 2%. Well, your immediate thought might be, oh, well, I'm out. If it's a two cap, that's crazy. I'm not investing in real estate. Well, what if you look around and the bank is at negative interest rates, you're having to pay the bank to store your money and bonds are negative. And what if there's no such thing as yield except for real estate that yields a 2% return? Well, 
that's probably going to be your best option then <laughs> if you're going to want to make any kind of return whatsoever. So you always have to be matching it up against the surrounding options. But in another scenario, let's say that cap rates are 2% on multifamily, but municipal bonds are 4%, which would be a crazy world. But if that were the case, well, maybe that's a better option to place your capital because you might get a tax-free yield at a higher interest rate and these kinds of things. So you always have to be kind of looking at the landscape and understanding what Main Street investors are looking for and chasing and institutional. And from our last episode, understanding what the exit strategy is, who are you likely going to be selling to anyway? With single family, that's going to be individuals. That's going to be Main Street people with a 500 unit apartment building. That's probably going to be an institutional buyer more than likely. So things to think about. Those are my final thoughts. I like that. Looking at what are these big institutions doing and then assuming that they know what they're doing. They have some information that they're basing these decisions on when they're investing hundreds and billions of dollars. And it kind of reminded me of something we talked about a while back when we're talking about how to analyze the GP's market. It's something else that you do as well. It's like, okay, well, if a Fortune 500 company is moving to this market, they have a big team who's analyzing the entire country to say, where should we move our corporate headquarters based off of a variety of different metrics. And so if you've got a bunch of Fortune 500 companies going somewhere, you've got some big Fortune 500 company buying up a bunch of real estate somewhere, they're probably onto something. So you can use that as a guide where to invest market-wise. Same thing here. What are the institutions doing? Are they investing in multifamily? Are they investing in bonds? Are they investing in the stock market? What are they doing? And then kind of figuring out why they're making that decision. They're not just randomly investing in multifamily. They're doing it for a specific reason. So that's another way to guide you to where to test things out. Anything else you would mention, Travis, before we sign off? Nope. I think that's it. All in all, to conclude, I'm still bullish on multifamily for 2021. And looking forward, I'm still investing I did more deals personally in 2020 than I've ever done in any given year. And we'll see how this year pans out. So that's my opinion on it for what that's worth. That's all I got. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you as always, Travis, for joining us today. Best ever listeners. Thank you for tuning in. One last thing to mention before we sign off, we are doing a new shorter segment on YouTube. We're calling it the 60 second question. So you submit your actively passive investing questions. If you're watching on YouTube in the comment section below, if you're listening to the podcast, you can just email me directly, Theo at JoeFairless.com. And Travis and I will read your question and your name, and then we'll answer it in 60 seconds or less. We've got a couple of videos already up on our YouTube channel, so make sure you check that out. If you want to have your question featured, again, email me, Theo at JoeFairless.com. So again, thank you for tuning in. Best ever listeners, have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast, hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer, interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.